Hello, this is Joshua Bull again. Hello, this is Alec Feather again. And this is Hannah Christman. And we're gonna today we're gonna continue talking about media total or um, surveillance totalities, and uh, hopefully get into a little bit of uh, augmented society, which we will discuss further. Um, so, so where we left off, we were talking about the. Um, economic totality and how blending that with other totalities can produce a new form of economics, a new economic system, which would essentially incorporate data from all aspects of the earth and um, basically make um, the, where the decisions of the economic system through banking and finance and government actions incorporates um, the entire world, not just what is uh, available to the uh, economies for consumption or, or what, 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 you, what you consider part of the economy. So we're going to focus now on the environmental totality, which is um basically an attempt to quantify the um the areas in the world where there are um where there are biomes that are external from the civilization but could have all of their all of the all of the data collected about these biomes so that humans could um, modify the environments themselves to um, maintain um, biodiversity and and proper uh, proper environmental um, standards to keep these places flourishing so so, Alec, I don't understand uh, why, when we consider um, consider the environment, we don't consider we only take from the environment, but we never we never give to it. So, um, you know, we we def we deforest, uh, we we dam the rivers. Um, we we um you know we get we harvest natural resources but um these these processes don't occur in a vacuum and there is a problem when you have um civilization being as big as it is it's not it's not a small part of the earth you know, human civilization kind of consumes the earth, and what happens when you have um, these economic systems that are primed just for growth, and then they don't offer any changes to um, offer development to environments that need them when when all we do is take from them so yeah. so i think you're 
maybe part of what you're articulating is that, you know, humans have been an incredibly successful and prolific species in the past uh, couple thousand years. And as a result of that success and proliferation, right, humans have stretched the bounds of the different environments that they inhabit, and they've stretched the bounds of how they can modify and change the environment to suit their needs. Um, but with that modification and change rises a concern of whether or not the environment might be modified short term, right, for some human benefit, but will carry some long term effect that would be consequential for populations, right? Yeah. And so your, your question kind of boils down to, uh, suppose we just take something, right, it, whether it's uh, through deforestation, say we take uh, arable land for farming, right, or if it's through something, you know, more conventional like fossil fuels, which we take for energy, right? Are those going to have long-term side effects, which are maladaptive for human beings and not conducive in general, right, for uh, life on the planet? Yeah, so um, we can gather information about these environments where we take all these resources and we can... Um, kind of have an anti-resource um, consumption method of providing to these environments that don't, um, that would die on their own naturally. So, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's for large swaths of forest that get, get taken down for their lumber, um, whether it's having drones come in and plant new trees that where where new ones have been left behind or or even more large scale ones where you're preventing uh the desertification of of a certain bit of yeah. environment that is um that is that is being affected by climate change Right. So. I think desertification is a really good example because it uh, is possibly a consequence, right, of collective human behavior all over the globe, but the really localized, you know, negative effects, right? Mm -hmm. So everyone, right, enjoys air conditioning and drives a car and benefits from all kinds of consumer goods and, and a varied diet, right? But then one of the consequences is we have a locality that becomes increasingly increasingly unlivable yeah so so the I, I i believe that the solution to a lot of the climate problems is just more engineering and so um you know we we are are to the scope where we're so influential on the planet that um you know, we, we're affecting things in a way where we cannot avoid responsibility to saying that we cannot control things. So, um, you know, a lot of this too goes boils down to the idea back to the nuke where, you know, a nuclear weapon is, is a weapon and it's very dangerous. But, you know, if you used it for uh, diverting asteroids, you could save the planet. So... Um, you know, it goes in the realm of conspiracy theories now, but, you know, weather modification is very, um, 
is is very a conspiratorial kind of concept where it's not well known as to the the capabilities of governments and weather modification and um it's not well known to the public how much influence humans can have on affecting the weather and the climate with intentional changes not unintentional changes and so i mean there there are some things that we do know right so for example we do know that human beings uh can ha- have had a uh an unintentional impact right on environments in particular places. So one example maybe that I'd, I'd pluck out would be that increased carbon in the atmosphere, right, goes into the ocean, which acts as a sink, which results in the ocean becoming slightly more acidic, right, which kills off oceanic reefs, right, which are adapted to very particular fine-tuned environmental conditions, yeah. right? So that'd be an example of unintentional environmental modification. And we've also had intentional cases you mentioned the weather, right, where human beings have modified the weather uh, for what they perceive to be their advantages. Maybe the most notorious example, uh, and, and maybe this is almost a little bit conspiratorial, but it, uh, I believe it's the case that the United States, right, seeded clouds during the Vietnam War in order to extend the typhoon season, right? Yeah. Because it was perceived that a longer typhoon season, right, be advantageous for U.S. soldiers rather than uh, Vietnamese, you know, opposing fighters, right? Uh, so uh, my understanding is is that it's simply a fact, right, that such things as uh, seeding clouds, right, uh, with certain compounds to encourage, right, uh, uh, the formation, right, of uh, of clouds and the, and the and the continuation, right, of certain weather patterns is something which is possible even if it's still rudimentary. Yeah, and this gets to the idea of chemtrails and, and whatnot. But, you know, again, these these concepts shouldn't be um, lost to high-end government officials and, and, you know, what we consider whack jobs in the... in... in, in in civilization for no no gain in development and for you know possibly abuse by um those in power so you know if if these if these technologies were more open we could see we could possibly see more solutions to dealing with climate change and you know you start with the weather and then you see okay what are the most um, fragile life forms on the planet that are being affected by um, climate change, which are extinction, and then can you genetic can, can you create genetically engineered um, species that are more resistant to the problems that are currently being undergone are currently being felt by these by these um, troubled species. And then it goes to could you um, could you fertilize environments to um, encourage growth of um, growth of plants and fauna in 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 locations that would um, help with biodiversity and keep the keep the uh, climate keep the environment that we're talking about stable so 
I think that there's a lot of um, aspects that you could follow with that, you know, um, scientific ways that you could engineer solutions to certain problems, like you said, you could genetically engineer different species and stuff. But I think that one really basic aspect that you could solve is similar to when you were talking about the economic totality. Um, you could be keeping track of all of the actions of every person and you could say exactly how they were affecting the environment. Because one thing that people generally say nowadays is like, oh, what can one person do? You know, it seems like too big of a problem for one person, so we don't worry about the decisions that we're making every day. But with something that's actually keeping track of the effects of each decision, it would be easier to bring about a wide amount of change. That's a good observation. Uh, and, and I think that it's the observation that right now uh, we have... Uh, we have individual inputs into the environment, which we can't readily, readily quantify and therefore uh, understand and price, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, we don't know very well, right, what the tangible impact of one person driving this car or that car or living this way or that way uh, does, at least not on a sophisticated level. And so with uh, more information more information processing and more information distribution, you could have a case where people are more fully individually accountable, right? They don't just appreciate in some ambiguous sense, right? Like, uh, oh, I should drive this car, not that car, or I should eat this and not that. They actually know the consequences of their actions. And then you could drive like collective behavior that way. Yeah. 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 So we have a top down approach to, so where you have large organizations, whether it be governments, militaries, corporations, changing their actions and incorporating the entire environment into the economy by um, seeing the availability of resources over time by uh, from modification of environments. And then we have a bottom down or bottom up approach of uh observing individuals and and giving you know each individual kind of like a score as to what how they're how they're doing in in being environmentally friendly or not so um i think i think though that this this it, it would be it would be a fault to this podcast to not mention though that um big big data big um big big sets of information that um, what am I trying to say here um, big big systems that that are very delicate um, modifying them effectively with with getting an a, a event is based off the model and and it's and it's very well known and that's why the climate, and I think that's why climate change action has been so has been so slow. Is that um, a lot of a lot of these big systems we just don't know. So we just don't know the outcomes of, of from A to 
of, of A and B in, in the effect that they have in the system. So um, a lot of times when you try something in a, in a system like that, it, 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 it does the opposite effect. So you, so in making these modifications for the environment, you'd have to observe the most conservative approach in getting change to occur for the better. Because if you could become too radical, like I just saw a video about uh, seeding, seeding the, um, seeding the environment with um, stuff to cool it down. There are many sulfates. I think so. Yeah. And there, there are many, many things, many side effects that are, that could occur that would it, that could possibly affect um, other systems if you began to do that. So uh, one of them is a heat ramp up. So if if you do do that, and you do slow down climate change, the the temperature effect of climate change, and um, if you stop in, increasing the amount of sulfates in the atmosphere, you end up with uh, a heat runoff where it gets it 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 gets hotter and hotter and hotter because the the thing that is mediating the temperature it goes away. So you get an even a higher increase in temperatures than you'd have from not from 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 doing it and stopping than you were from doing it not doing it at all. So. Um, the this this approach needs to be very conservative and, um, and careful. Yeah, you got to be very careful when dealing with these large systems like this. Yeah. So this uh this connects with an idea called Chesterton's fence. Uh, G. K. Chesterton was like a pretty prominent British author in the early twentieth uh, century, and uh, he basically postulated that, and this is probably an inappropriate summary of just of Chesterton's fence. Uh, but he postulated that sometimes there are systems that we don't fully comprehend, right? Uh, and our non-comprehension means that we can act carelessly towards them, and perhaps we ought not to. So in his thought example, he uh, suggested a person coming to uh, a fence, right? And not seeing any apparent reason for the fence being there, not knowing why it was there. And then deciding, well, this fence, I don't really care for it. It ought to come, come down. Now, G.K. Chesterton was talking in the sense of institutions and governments and religions, right? Uh, and his claim was sometimes, right, certain things exist for reasons that aren't immediately ascertainable to us. So, for example, that fence might contain livestock, right, that you can't see. Or that fence might be a barrier against a particularly dangerous place that people ought not to go. And just because a person doesn't know why the fence is there doesn't mean that they ought to go and start tearing it down, right? So you could take this to the environmental context as well. We didn't really know the consequences of adding large amounts of carbon to the atmosphere, right? Uh, but just because those consequences weren't knowable doesn't mean that we didn't have to deal with them later and that they weren't severe, right? And so there might be other things that we don't know about, other consequences we can't foresee concerning the environment, right? So then the question is, if you add a bunch of sulfates to the atmosphere or some other material in order to cool the atmosphere, are you in fact trampling over some fence, right? Making some adjustment that you don't realize will be consequential, but is incredibly consequential, right? 
maybe a simple example where people have acted carelessly in the past, which was with concern to leaded gasoline, right? Uh, so uh, lead was added to gasoline, I think in the uh, mid uh, and, and early uh, 20th century, just because it made gasoline a more convenient, merchantable product, right? But one of the consequences of leaded gasoline was that whole societies, whole generations got greater than average exposure to lead in the ambient environment. And we've only been able to deal with this adequately in the past couple de decades. But it's been uh, postulated that uh, you know hundreds of thousands of deaths were attributable to lead exposure due to leaded gasoline. And other things that we can't really account for, right, could be attributable to leaded gasoline. For example, right, uh, crime. Uh, could it be the case that greater exposure to leaded gasoline inhibited development across societies, right, and caused uh, greater aggression and greater criminality, right? Uh, there's a lot of discussion about uh, the, the the perceived uh, increase in crime, right, in the 80s and the 90s, and then the crackdown on crime by the government that we're still wrestling with today. And some people have suggested that leaded gasoline could have been a hidden cause, right, that contributed to greater crime in a society. Um, so this is a roundabout way of saying that if we tweak the levers, right, or turn the dials, right, with concern to something like the environment that we live in, there might be a lot of consequences that we can't appreciate when we turn the lever or, or tweak the dial, right, that are nevertheless very important. In fact, there are things that we might never appreciate, right, that could affect us and be important. And so that's why I think you have so much caution with regard to something like geoengineering, right? Yeah. Knowable and unknowable impacts. Yeah, so... That was a bit of a, of a ramble, so sorry. Oh, but I couldn't right. help but, but bring up Chesterton's fence. All right. Uh, so that so that covers the uh, of environmental totality. So now we're going to go back to the social totality. We're going to discuss what media will look like when people are aware of these surveillance totalities and aware of um, When they're and when and when they're aware of um, themselves to this degree, so um, so I think it was last year, it might have been two years ago, but um, there was a commercial with my favorite quarterback Aaron Rodgers, and he was it was an is an Izod commercial, and um, he I don't remember anything about the commercial, but he was being a DJ, and and he there was something said to him and he said i'm computer generated and then he fizzled off the screen mm. um so we've gotten to a point where it's easily where it's easy to produce maybe not maybe not on a massive scale but at least in a in a scale of um in a moderately large scale where computer generated images are um impossible to discern from real video and then take deep fakes so do you know what a deep fake is 
I think I'm familiar. So a deep fake would be when you, you gain access, right, to uh, someone's appearance or someone's voice, you can effectively fake them uh, doing things that they're not doing. So for example, you could take a prominent person in politics, right, and deep fake using their appearance and their voice and generate media with them saying something that that person has never actually said. Yeah. Though an observer would think, you know, that's Barack Obama or that's Donald Trump who said that. Yeah. And so you take these two and then you take the media totality and can what do you think can you get when you when you have computer generated images that are discernible from real life and you have um you have a you have deep fakes which can get you to say anything and then you have information about individuals that where their objective profile is basically known and their behavior is known in certain situations. You have the optimization of media for each individual person, which is to say that you, you have the capacity to know the opti- optimal media for a person, you know, regardless of what they're using that media for, whether if it's for education, whether if it's for entertainment, right, or, or any other purpose, right, if, if that's knowable, then you can create any kind of media uh, indistinguishable from conventional media to their taste. Yes, so um, so my favorite um, my favorite uh, aspect of this is that I uh, I'm a Packer fan, so I I like I like seeing Brett Favre in the media. I like seeing Aaron Rodgers in the media. When I see an Aaron Rodgers commercial, it makes me pretty happy. Um, and I also like Star Wars, so I would love to see a a recast of Star Wars where the the Episode Four where Darth Vader is Tom Brady and. And he's got like a big Patriots Darth Vader helmet. And Brett Favre is Obi-Wan Kenobi. And Aaron Rodgers is Luke Skywalker. And I want to see a movie where... I want to see the Star Wars movie, but with different characters. So that we see these... We see this movie that has been deep faked and, and redone with artificial intelligence to where it it's built to my tastes. So imagine being able to request a bit of media about about anything for anything with anyone. And then and then that leads to the idea of taking the social totalities of individuals and and making movies that making shows that are with you in them and you're in in and and the computer knows how you'll behave in certain situations so so imagine watching yourself be an an epic hero in a movie where um, where you get to see yourself be amazing and then factoring in factoring in other people you know imagine imagine you have a problem 
and you problem with your spouse, and you you have arguments with your spouse, and the AI is trying to been helping have been helping you try to help you work through it, and you don't and you can't just figure it out at this point. So what the AI, what your what your AI computer thing would do at this point is produce a produce a bit of media with the problem in the media and and you would watch how you would res- how you would resolve it in that in that bit of media based on the expectations of yourself in the movie does that make sense yeah yeah so you've got you've got the capacity to simulate all kinds of interactions and engagements and then people can benefit from watching those those simulations yeah i think that it might also be worth taking this to maybe the, the media totality that we're discussing to like a more basic level um and so i can't help because i wrote it down beforehand getting in edgewise uh something called the daily me which was uh an idea published by nicholas Negroponte, and uh basically something which he discussed as a virtual reality newspaper customized to user tastes. This was in his 1995 book, Being Digital. So, you know, obviously it's a little dated, but it's also really far ahead of its time because the virtual reality newspaper customized to user tastes is something that we see today, right, on social media sites where the articles you're fed are customized based on your attention and your preferences, right? And so... A media totality also has has the capacity more generally right to give to to deviate from what 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 was conventionally right a cultural consensus on media and and content right because everyone watched the same thing so we have certain tropes in our society certain concepts that we all understand like Star Wars for example you mentioned and I immediately knew what you were talking about uh, maybe certain football references, maybe certain characters in books, right? If I said, you know, in some settings, right, that fellow is a real Iago, right? I'd be making a reference to Othello's Shakespeare and, and calling someone out as, as an evil, rotten person, right? Um, but these things are lost in custom media, uh, media uh, landscapes where everybody has something different, right, to digest based on their preferences. Well, not I don't think exactly because, um, first of all, you gotta you gotta keep in mind that when when everyone is everyone when the information about everyone is known, the I the the um, the things that the thing that will become very apparent is that there are a lot of people very similar to you and I and the and 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 that um a lot of people will go through the same problems and the same experiences in their media their custom media based on um that that normal people that that other people go through hmm. and and then and also you could have you could have custom media not just from um not just for the individual but based off of uh locations like you could make like in my city in California where I grew up, you could have um there was a is a city called Temecula and there were wineries and it had a very big wine 
um, wine population thing. So ima- imagine a imagine a bit of media like Breaking Bad where there's a a wine um, a wine cellar. I, I don't know what what a uh, owner sh- owner of a winery is. What the name of that is, but imagine that where they do like nefarious things to maintain their lead as the best winery and having that being able to be broadcasted to you know everyone in the city so you could have citywide location you can have statewide location you can have nationwide location i think that supports rather than rebuffs the point that i was making though right which is that as you have increasing customization based on taste preferences and locality you have decreasing collective consensus about media, right? Which is to say that the folks that live close to their winery, right, will be con- or might be under in this model consuming a different kind of media than the folks living, you know, across the country, you know, on the beach. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's a maybe there's a formula for how much media needs to be intake in that's um that's of that is traditional media that's of the big the big corporations yeah and and maybe and maybe how much media is taken in that's for for individual use i know that we've had some of this already though and i hate to date your podcast with a political topic uh but i think that you know in the aftermath of the 2016 election which is four years ago now, uh, the New York Times did some analysis on the kinds of media consumed by uh, uh, Hillary and Trump voters, or it might have been Republican and Democratic voters. Uh, and they found that, let's just say, for, for, my, you know, for my poor memory, that Democratic voters cleaved and almost universally watched uh, Game of Thrones, right? And Republican voters cleaved and almost universally watched Breaking Bad, or rather, it'd be the it'd be the opposite. Almost all Game of Thrones watchers were Democrats, and almost all, uh, I'm sorry, Walking Dead watchers were Republicans. Oh, okay. Right? And uh, and there, that can't be inconsequential. Now, it could be the case that you know people just happen to have their interests and preferences, and so it so happens that the kind of person that votes Democrat, has interests and preferences conducive to that, and then watches Game of Thrones and Republican uh, The Walking Dead, right, and so on. But it also seems to me that we're informed and shaped by the kind of media we consume, right? And people who watch Game of Thrones versus, versus Breaking Bad will take away different messages from the media and have different beliefs and preferences reinforced by the media. And I think that both are good shows, and I watch them both. So of course that means right. I'm I'm the perfect uh, fence sitting moderate, right? <laughs> un, 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 inscrutable, and you know above all criticism. Uh, but but it it makes it makes me wonder whether we'll continue to have you know more and more of a fracturing. And so without you know again delving too deep and dating too much, right? We have a moment today, right, where it seems like there's a lot of division in the country about whether or not the election, right, was uh, above board or below board, right, whether there was uh, no fraud uh, or some fraud, right, and, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be a fool's errand 
comment on that here because it's simply such a divisive issue. But I think pointing out the fact of the division is pretty important. And I think it might break down to the fact, right, that people have their different media sources today. Yeah. Yeah, so there would have to be um, an analysis of the effect that individualized media and um, non-individualized media have on, on, on groups and to see... And basically you have to keep track of what groups form after after this new 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 wave of media comes in and how um people start looking at you know their their opposite their enemies like political enemies yes. so on and and uh, and maybe you know obviously right some people might say cynically oh i you know a member of so and so group can cynically use media to make these other people like me you know or make them agree with me right and so maybe that that, that, that that sounds like a no-no, right? But I think there are certain things that everyone can agree on that might be more useful or conducive, right? Which would be something like media should encourage, all media should encourage people to recognize each other's common humanity and dignity, right? As human beings, right? Or all media should encourage critical thinking and problem solving, right? Uh, now, granted, right? Some people might even object to those broad ideas. But I think we could get almost everybody on board yeah. right, with something like that. Yeah, so... So, well, this... The media doesn't even have to just be film. It could also... Imagine playing custom video games that are um, tailored simply to um, an individual. Yeah. Like, like for example, um, I I have a, I have a problem in my life where I'm not very driven, but I have very I'm gonna very passionate about what I like to do. You know, I I I there's the, the reason I I make this podcast is because I'm passionate about um, AI and surveillance applications and stuff, right? So so um, I just have a fine I just have a hard time finding. Uh, sources of media online through YouTube and things to Google essentially that get that are that are really to the point of uh, me furthering the my interests in learning about the fields that I nice. discuss. So, so imagine you know if you have the social totality, you have groups of people that are like like minds interested, and they're all the same. They could play a video game together, which goes through how to, um, I, I don't know, learn learn to a, like a learning game that where you build an AI and you watch how it, uh, how the the system watches other people, and and um, changes and how. Basically, getting more involved in the things that you want to be interested in, with not just videos but interactive means too. So the so then maybe what you're suggesting is, could you use a media totality, that is, information collection, processing, and distribution, right, in the in a media landscape, to make something like a video game, nourishing and informative and mind expanding, right. You know, such that, right, 
we might say sometime in the future, right, that a video game prepared you for important work, right, and you had a blast doing it, right? Yeah. 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 So, so I think that that could you know affect the future of education and stuff where, you know, because we we have the I think I think a lot of the problem with a lot of advancement in technology is that when we have the um, we don't maximize the use of the technology as soon as we have it. So the biggest example I have right now of that is is the difference between books and computers and mon- and having a having a visual having a screen in front of you versus having a you know um um a screen that you can interact with versus just a book. Mm-hmm. So most education now is done traditionally with with reading reading sources and remembering what you read and recording what you read on a test, but if if we truly maximize the information technology that we have, you know, you could have interactive things that are based on the things you're learning and you could have um much more in-depth ways of learning with with the idea that you can um you can have a screen that is change, you know, a screen that changes its a screen that changes its um, outputs basically um, creates a whole new world of of learning through interactive development, and it's there. There's much work to be done to make uh, learning in in, a, in every sense um, much more potent. You know, if, you know if this could be this could be for any job. This could be for any. Um, any interest, any hobby, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, it already is there. If you, if you have a hobby, you can go on YouTube and find other people who do it and learn about it. But, you know, if you, if you want to get a job for, for something and, um, there, there should be video games and stuff that, that show you what you do in the daily life of that. And, you know, why not blend the video game world with the real world and, why not, you know, while you're working, be playing a video game and have that incorporated into your daily life, so. Would you like to transition from there into augmented society? Yes, I Seems would. Seems like a seamless so, transition. So. No additional explanation required. So, um, augmented society, um, well, let's see. So, th- going back to the event totality, there there are two sub components of the event totality which we described. It was the visual and the auditory. So, you know, imagine being able to hear anything, um, hear anything, or the real world, and being able to see anything in the real world, and then having everything that you see be recorded, and have everything that you hear be recorded. So. Going from there, what if everyone in and everyone in civilization had access to this technology? What kind of what would the social constructs that would manifest? What would they be like in in changing, in in viewing the world like that? So, um, it's one of the one of the fun things about all this about about these ideas is that the that these totalities blend together really well in how they. 
um, and how one totality in, in, in a frame of another can produce new results. So again, with the social totality blending in with augmented reality, you know, imagine every time when you're, imagine when you're walking, because we go to school, we go to school here and, you know, I used to walk to, walk to school and I would walk by people. So, um, you know, imagine walking, walking uh, down the street and you see in, information about individuals coming through, coming next to you and, you know, their likes and dislikes, um, you know, whether or not they're having a good day, uh, you know, whether or not um, you, you'd want to have a conversation with them or anything. It would be a, it would be a heightened form of um, socialization to, to know about individuals' lives while you're, while you're passing them. So, um, so imagine, imagine, you know, you're, this is the one that comes to mind. There's probably better, there's probably better ways to think about this, but imagine you're, um, you're really lonely and, and you want some interaction with other people that, that is not especially, um, maybe you want a hug or something, right? So, so you could post, you could put on your, on top of your head as people walk by, like, I want to have a conversation or I want a hug. And then anyone who would want to give you a hug would be there for, for that situation. So, um, that would be a, it'd be a heightened way of providing a lot of people, um, a lot more, I don't know if the word, correct word is closure, but in, in making relationships with individuals based on knowledge that you have available on them as you walk by them. And then it's not, it's not just, it's not just, um, it's not just information either. It could be a lot of visual things. So imagine, you know, take the social totality and imagine, you know, you walk by a big wall that's like uh, of a building that, that with no with no windows that's thirty feet high. Imagine seeing a mural of of something in your life in on the wall, and and imagine um, imagine seeing on a bus driving by uh, information regarding um, whether or not you'll be late to wherever you're going. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah, a lot of actionable information could be conveyed through augmented reality. Yeah, so so this 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 next component is very cool because this could be a thing where if people participated in it, they would massively reduce consumption, but they could. Um, but by participating would end up being in a higher form of the thing that already exists. So, um, so do you, uh, Alec, do you know anything about, uh, virtual economies? Only a little bit. Okay. So in the virtual economy that I was invested in, it was in a game called Team Fortress 2. And in Team Fortress 2, you had these virtual hats and, 
people would trade for them and spruce up their character, make them look stylish and stuff, right? So the thing that that's ver that about these things is very cool, and is that you can end up with virtual fashion. So imagine, imagine having everyone in the world have a very reduced set of clothes that they wear, based off of the fact that no one will see them wear those clothes. They will see what they will see is either whatever they want to see, or they will see whatever you want them to see. Mm -hmm. So. That's difficult. Um, would you like me to be? Would you like me to be contrary? For sure. A it seems like a lot of the, a lot of what. Uh, it seems like a lot of the purpose of the goods that people use and the commodities they purchase and the things they exchange in the commodity, in the economy don't actually have a ton to do with their strict economic value or their aesthetic. So the virtual economy that I think about uh, is the virtual economy of RuneScape, which was very large and sophisticated, right? Are you familiar at all with RuneScape? No, I'm not familiar That's okay. It's a very large, very large and sophisticated economy with uh, maybe a couple thousand different types of goods traded, you know, next to a, a, a floating currency, right? Not based on anything. And some goods, right, would be very useful and coveted. So useful and rare, right? Like a fancy weapon that you could use in the context of the game. But some, some goods uh, had no value other than their rarity. Uh, the coveted party hat, right? Which, you know, might have been an item dropped uh, during a, a fixed period of time, and then no more were released into the game. So the good was valuable merely due to its rarity, right? And sometimes to ludicrous and obscene extents, right? So a, a tangible, actionable good, which you could use to complete a quest, to advance yourself in the game, right, would be worth one one-hundredth or one one-thousandth uh, as much as a good with no function other than fashion and rarity, right? The party hat. And so it makes me think that a lot of the value of the things that we buy, like clothing or like skins, right, in games, doesn't actually have uh, as much to do with, you know, their tangible value, right? Their, their value as a utility, right? Uh, it has a lot more to do with communication uh, and, and, and intangible, non-utility things, right? So, for example, right, I might want to buy something just because it's rare, and then people will know that I'm a powerful, wealthy person. Yeah. Right? Like a nice car. And so when you move to a virtual reality scape, right, where anyone can have any kind of clothing or anyone can have any kind of car, right, that sounds to me like something that people might try to escape from because it doesn't serve those ends, right? The, well, well, the, I, I'm, I don't say that those necessarily won't exist because if you have, you know, if you have a virtual economy, you could have a, a company produce virtual merchandise. Yeah. And so that, that makes it really cool because, okay, so, so in the game, there were unusual 
there were there were hats that were normal and they were they were they would just put on the character, but there were other ones that were called unusuals, and they'd have a particle effect on the out on the on the outside of them, yeah. and then those particle effects would would have a resonating um, effect on the outside of the character's head that would make make them make them make them look far more astounding. So, for example, this burning flame. So you could have a Team Fortress Two. The most expensive hat in the game is called the Burning Flames Team Captain. Yeah. It's a it's a military hat, but it but it's got burning flames coming out of it. And then there's like sunbeams and stuff like that. So imagine imagine. Um, okay, here's the solution to your inquiry. So you have three states for the augmented glasses. There would be the there would be the off state, which would be whatever you see in the environment is what is real, and then you'd have the um, and then you'd have the community state, which would be wherever everyone everyone agrees on what they see. So what you see in in your augmented world is what another person sees in the augmented world, and then the third state is the individual state where you see whatever you want to see and in that state you would um yeah you would see whatever you want to see so you would you you could see you you know if you you know if you missed your relatives you could see um your relatives walking by on 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 a daily bit on everywhere or if you if you just wanted to be alone, you wanted to focus on something you didn't want to do, you could have people's faces be blank as they walked by. So, hmm. so in the community state, you could have companies sell virtual fashion items that not just could not just be there, but they could change color, they could have auras and effects around them, and they could um, they they could they could you know they could have the effect of having a having a, a changing landscape to it so that they could change they could change the the items could change themselves so you know imagine watching a a fashion show uh where these have particle effects like if you if you're if you're like you know the victoria's secret fashion show where they're runway models like an angel imagine having like a heavenly glow like a glow come from behind and and having them walk walk towards the walk towards the um, end of the runway, and then they'd have you know like clouds coming uh, underneath them, and you know you you know may, may, maybe in the maybe in the individual mode you could have anyone have any any thing, but in the community mode you could have companies sell um, like auras and stuff to make their um, to make the virtual fashion that they have change. Right. I mean, I I can see that. Maybe I'm not a very good conversation partner for this specific point. Not on the point of augmented society generally, but on uh on, you know, things such as digital fashion, right? Or intangible, you know, uh non-utility goods, right? Yeah. But I mean, uh, that, that's my own, that's my own shortfall. Okay. Um, yeah, so, well, it's not, not just, not just appearances. You could also have, um, 
yeah, you could have you could have you know important tangible actionable information maybe as marketed right by Google Glass now right like relevant information could be broadcasted to you about the weather so you know whether or not to grab your umbrella about you know uh, what what locations are open so you know where to go right and uh, you know what 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 whatever else you might need to be uh, whatever else you might need that is actionable right yeah. on a daily basis uh, another good example that um, it would would be very effective today if we had, if everyone had augmented if we had augmented society today we could have um, every time you walk by someone you have you could have the risk of being infected by that person and how many people that they how many infected people yeah. they've been around and it'd be a much easier way of being safe without you know being too intrusive just you know if 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 and and if the if the computers think you're infected they they'll tell you that you know yeah. what i mean so yeah and that's powerful um and it could be something as simple as you know the computer telling you uh risk zones so for example if you enter into a closed environment with x number of people as opposed to an open environment right with with a comparable number of, of people does uh does that does the nature and the of the, of the environment change your uh, your risk, and you could you could then you know in the context of a pandemic, right, uh, amend your behavior. Yeah. Some of the information. yeah. Okay, uh, we're about an hour in, so we're gonna end end this podcast today. So uh, keep keep up with super intelligence applications um, through the podcast, and um, all right. Have a good day.